Well, John, this has been one of the more interesting conversations we've had. Fascinating. Um, Dave Moss, uh, who tells us that he's been riding. He's been involved with motorcycling. Before since he was born. Before he was born. Before. Not all his life. Not for most of his life. But he's been involved before he was born. His, his, can, I, can I go ahead and break I'm, the? Yeah. Hell yeah. His, his mother's water broke while she was in a sidecar. <laughs> <laughs> How incredible. <laughs> Tune in, folks. Great one here. Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. On the line with us today is someone that I have been eagerly waiting to uh, ask all these questions to Dave Moss of DaveMossTuning.com, which is a really incredible website all about suspensions, tuning. This guy is a real pro. Welcome, Dave. That's right. Welcome, Dave. Not to be confused with David. Yes, do not call him David. Which only, he's only called David when he's in hot water. That's right. Apparently. Welcome, Dave. Welcome, Dave. It's good to have you at the Behind the Pod, Behind the Bars podcast. Dave, I, I, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what Dave Moss tuning is. Now, I'm assuming I'm assuming uh, you don't mean tuning pianos. Uh, wh- what is Dave Moss tuning all about? You're so you're so pro- provocative, Mark. Uh, well, you know, I, I can be. Yep. Sorry, Dave. You must fish, Mark. <laughs> I, I, I do fish. There we go. Um... What is DMT all about? Well, it often gets confused with those famous three letters, so we'll get rid of that confusion right away. Um, The second part in answer to your question is um, when I couldn't play rugby anymore, I had to find something else to do, and I ended up with a motorcycle in various boxes, which I assembled. And I am not, not a great racer by any stretch of the imagination, but in order to win... Um, I spent a year in the paddock with the oldest guys I could find and fed them with scotch and beer. And all I did for a year was take notes, and it basically boiled down to geometry, suspension, and tires. Um, And in paying attention to them, that created an internship that I forced on a couple of boys so I could learn more, uh, and I would build suspension and break it because I became better than it. And that was a relentless process over two years, uh, which allowed me to get on the podium because the bike handled so well, not because of my generic skill set. So in doing that, a lot of riders would come over and say, hey, can you help me? And that was 1995. Um, That has turned into something quite profound. Uh, Hopefully this year we'll reach about 12 million people around the world. And my mission is to save a life every day through education and training. And the only way to do that is via video articles and podcasts, which I share online for people to access for free. Um, And for more detailed content, they can subscribe to the website. So I lost most of my friends on motorcycles by the time I was 23 in the UK. But for us, that was just a rite of passage way back when. Um, And if you go back in history, certainly in London, there's some famous stories about putting the putting the quarter in the jukebox and making it back in time. Um, so I want to try and avoid that. 
at least minimize injuries and then when a bike gets into a crisis situation, irrespective of what you ride and the category it's in, that you have a much higher percentage chance of avoiding a collision and when you have to do something urgently, the bike responds appropriately. So that, in a nutshell, gentlemen, is it. What, what, a, what a mission, though, Mark. What a mission. Save a life every day. Yeah, I mean, the, the why behind this yeah. is extremely powerful. Like, that, 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 uh, that hit me. Like, yeah, hit no me question. in the stomach when the things that he was saying about, about the, the idea, the basis for all of this. Um, something that I think is so um, undervalued, in my opinion, in the motorcycle world, certainly in the Harley world, we, don't, we do a lot of suspension stuff, but, but never have I ever heard someone explain the importance in that manner. Yeah, I agree. Uh, David, I'm assuming that you accomplish your mission by not only uh, mechanically tuning these motorcycles, but also training. Is that correct? Yeah, for people that want to learn, um, I have some training programs, and that basically uh, can be done online. I do pre-COVID travel the world a lot teaching, so the goal there is to leave, well, one of a better phrase, mini-me's wherever I go, so they can start their own home business, keep going, keep honoring my mission, and keep working locally on grassroots level. And in some countries like New Zealand and Australia, where I've toured for almost a decade, there are now many thriving businesses that support families and communities. So the more I can travel, um, the more I can help people who are genuinely interested and are willing to listen first, not talk, um, move forward in, in providing not only a business that can thrive and support their family, but can also be a huge destination in the community. Because way back when, you'll remember you got a new bike, you said, let's see what this will do. Whereas now, a lot of people get the bike and go, what do I need to set up? And I think the key message there that everybody will relate to is when you buy a motorcycle, what have you done to fit it to yourself? And the analogy is, would you ever rent a car not move the seat and steering wheel for the period of the rental. Motorcyclists in general are the biggest masochists on the planet. We just adapt. But there's no reason to with the depth and strength of the aftermarket in regards to products when there's seven to ten different handlebars that could work better for you because nobody measures from the handlebars to the belly button to see what is their reach based on their spine and arm line. So fatigue is a constant killer in our world and sometimes takes people out of our sport. So if that can be remedied quickly and easily, for example, if you've got a 33-inch inseam, why can't you have a seat that's three inches taller? And now you're immediately more comfortable. The pain in your hips and knees is gone for a small investment that you can take to an upholstery shop to get it done. So I always try and educate people as best I can, no matter where I go, whatever I'm doing. Even in airports or places where everybody goes, are you Dave? I will always engage in a short discussion to ask them what they've done to their motorcycle and why. And again, that just keeps paying it forward. Um, and into budget motorcycles where there's really not much adjustability through to, for example, the all new Revolution Max 1250T, which is 
fully adjustable. So with the Holly range, some of the bikes are very limited on travel, which, you know, that comes down to the rider. When you have on, for example, your rear shock, having 56 millimeters travel with the low rider ST, that's going to offer a little bit of back pain. But can you go into the aftermarket and resolve that? The answer is, of course, yeah, there's lots of choices. So I think the message there is some critical thinking, or if you don't really get it, go to a bicycle shop and get fitted to a bicycle, and then it will make a lot more sense. Well, David, we have something in common here. I don't know if you know it or not, but we have a riding academy at Wilkins Harley-Davidson through the Harley-Davidson and and Motorcycle Safety Foundation curriculum uh, where we train 180 students every year um, on riding a motorcycle. So I'm particularly curious about uh, your coaching and your methodology there because a lot of the things that you're saying are a lot of the things we talk about in the riding academy um, you know, that is that fitment uh, to a motorcycle is really critical to riding safely. Um, and I, I'm curious, when, when, when you are uh, coaching uh, your students on, on these things, do you encounter resistance? Because, you know, so many riders want to look a certain way on a motorcycle. Uh, what's your response to that sort of situation? I think it falls into two basic categories. There are those that want to learn, and there are those that just want to throw cash at you to say fix it. Uh-huh. And I try as hard as I can with those who say fix it to give them one or two key things to actually pay attention to, which doesn't take too long. So, for example, the angle and distance of the brake lever. I'll just put my hand on top of their hand while it grips the throttle. I'll just say, go get your brake lever without moving my hand. And they look at me and I can't. Right. So let's get the right angle. And now do you have short stubby fingers like me or do you have fingers that are about the same length as your palm? Let's set the reach. And that's as far as I'll go because I always want to try and plant a seed that's non-threatening and not requiring them to pay full attention but just pop the question in their head and then continue on with the process. And in the end, when everybody goes through this epiphany, as I'm sure your students do, when suddenly the bike fits them, all of a sudden, now they want to know more. And that's true of when I go and do, um, when the police have the parking lot riding challenges, I'll go do ergonomics on their bike for one of the departments for the same principle and reason for bike control. Theirs is obviously substantially higher, but the same thing applies whether you're a brand new rider or whether you've got some skills and a little bit of knowledge can really help you down down the pathway to a much better handling motorcycle in terms of making the right choices versus air cleaner, big bull kit, pipes, etc. That, I think, is the, the hard conversation to have. Dave, the technical piece of this you know, and, and, and I am I am a complete amateur, even though having ridden motorcycles my entire life, I've never really even ever adjusted. My, I don't I don't recall really ever adjusting my suspension unless it was airing it up on a touring bike with the with you know with a hand pump. What what are what's some advice you know mainly for Harley Davidson customers? Your experience with Harley Davidson you know suspension systems. 
what what advice can you give to make the bike safer? Um, basically, one is ergonomics, which yourself to the bike, which we already covered. Two is a motorcycle comes out of this from the factory, so generally Harley suffer from a lot of cupping on the front tire, and usually that is from the oil viscosity being inadequate for either their weight, their skill, or the climate. Because the bikes are so worldwide, the climate in Dubai is not the climate in Colorado. So I'll go to that point. And then the third piece for me is always, what is your weight and what are you doing with the bike? Are you solo? Are you two up? Are you loaded? What do we have? And then I just introduced the topic of SAG, not as a mathematical equation, but as a cable tie on the front fork where the front fork is available and visible. And then on the rear shock shaft, a little tiny little bit of grease of what's dirty and what's clean. So use your eyes critically to see is the bike too stiff because you're only using a third of the full travel, but a hundred percent of the shock travel. So where's the problem? Well, the shock's too soft. It's not keeping the weight on the front tire. Therefore the tire's going to tap going down the road, which is one of the contributing factors of cutting. Wow. So well, the other piece of the puzzle there, of course, is servicing. A lot of the shocks are like a car strut. They have a lifetime and they go away. So with a non-adjustable fork, and some people, it's great to see three veins show up in the neck and forehead when I say change your fork oil every four to 6,000 miles so that the front of the bike that we depend on the most is much more consistent and much more stable for the cost of a bottle of oil and a bit of labor. And then do the mathematics on how much you're saving in tires and more importantly how much more you can trust the front of the motorcycle into the corner not only with braking but with entry speed that might be honestly like one of the more eye-opening things mm-hmm. that someone has said to us yeah. on a podcast um the tie to suspension and cupping I, I literally have never made that connection between those two. And I'm sure that when we post this podcast, we're going to have a bunch of people saying, oh, no, everybody knows that. But I've literally not ever heard anyone ever tie those two together, Dave. So incredible. And it makes all the sense in the world after you after you say it. Um, well, I'd, I'd love our technicians to hear what he just said right. in particular. I, I'm certain that they're aware of some of this, but the concept that uh, – when we set up a motorcycle, it's not necessarily a one size fits all that we need to consider the weight of the ri- of the of the the rider and uh, and the stature of the rider, passenger and, gear, yeah, all of that because because it's a huge difference. So, Dave, when you right. look when you look at a suspension, are you when you're analyzing the 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 sag, are you should the front suspension and the rear suspension have the same amount of travel? Or is one received more? Depending on the motorcycle and the horsepower of the motorcycle and the type of the chassis, the goal is to make it flat. So in regards to you talking to the technicians, there's a couple things they can try with the bike 
absolutely up to showroom floor. When they push on the front fork, how many oscillations does it go through? Because essentially it's supposed to go down, come up, and stop. So how many models on the showroom floor do not do that? So that's the first piece of the puzzle. And then when the bike gets ridden, how many of the bikes use 100% of the rear shock travel and half, maybe a third of the fork travel? Because the way the bike is set up, because it has to be set somewhere, just like a car delivered from a factory to a dealership. What can you do then to change the geometry of the bike based on, let's say, 120 or 200, and then a joint weight of 350 pounds by using a tape measure and seeing what you can do? And there are some other quick fixes when you can't quite get the back of the bike right. There is nothing wrong, for example, of moving the forks through three to seven millimeters to bring the front end down and put some weight on it so it has better grip. So I'm always trying to evaluate what do I have because starting the jigsaw from the middle is a nightmare. Nobody does that. We want the framework. So I always come at it from 10,000 feet of what do I have? What is the rider? What is their ability? What is the weight? What is the age of the bike? When was it serviced? How has it been taken care of? And I look at all those first by listening to the rider and asking questions. And then at that point, when I think I have a fair assessment, I will then go, okay, let's start in and see what we have. So for me, are there any external adjustments? Are the forks and the shot serviceable? If they're not serviceable, what do we do then? How do I advise the customer that what I can do for you is this, but when you ride it, while it will seem a lot better, it actually over time will not be. And the great analogy I can use for that is most people know what a lava lamp is. So the older the oil is in the forks and the shock, the thicker it is when it's colder. And then over time, it dynamically changes and the viscosity change is so dramatic that the handling of the bike is never the same. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and more and more variable. And it demands more and more of us controlling it. So in essence, what you're doing is you're being told how to do something. And if you like that at home, more power to you. <laughs> but on a motorcycle, it should be the other way around. We should be having the motorcycle do what we want it to do for our safety and our comfort and our enjoyment. And Unfortunately, too many new riders don't do this first, and then they wobble around for a while, they drop the bike a couple of times, and they leave the sport. When, when, if they had the opportunity to get this information and education, they might be a lifelong rider. And more importantly for me, they might be actually far more loyal to the brand because the bike handles so well. That is... Uh, an excellent analogy, and and regardless, I don't know where, whether you created that or not, but I, unfortunately, I apologize that I'm probably going to steal that lava lamp <laughs> analogy, Dave. So that's okay. Uh, royalties can uh, the program is available. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about some of the so, tell me about adjustments of Harley Davidsons on the track. You know, you're out there on the track. What, what types of, you know, street glide, road glide, touring bikes, what, what have you seen and worked with? Tell me some anecdotes as, as it ties to suspension. 
obviously with the tremendous success of bagger racing, a lot more Harley Davidsons are showing up for the track. And 90% of them have a front end that bounces three to five times. Hmm. And the shocks obviously have very short range of travel, two to three inches. So there's only so much you can do. And in general, I end up lowering the front, trying to make the rear only as stiff as it needs to be, and then work really hard with ergonomics and tire pressure for street or track, doesn't matter, to get them the most optimal ride. And for those who are not fix-it people, I give them basically three bullet points to go get the bike fixed to the point where no matter where they use it, it's just a tremendously different motorcycle that makes them smile all the time. Um, when I see the baggers come, there's various iterations of that from Chris Lewis's 170 horsepower bike, which I helped him with initial dialing on, through to somebody that's literally pulling the bags off and going around the track because they never thought they could bring their bagger to the track. And again, it's the same process, a little bit of education here and there to give them some information and say, get to this point, stay at this point, and enjoy your day so when you ride, you can tell everybody about how much safer the track is to learn riding skills. When you say... And when you leave the track and go ride outside, you are so much more aware of what's going on around you that you ride defensively. And if you do the track enough, you don't ride the street anymore. And if you do ride the street, you ride much, much slower. Um, and then <clears throat> I worked uh, with a friend of my friend in Monterey with his Pan America. That was fun, really enjoyed that, but did not get the opportunity to work with a manual version and see about dialing that one in. And then there's various other home builds that show up too that people have put together, um, machine parts, so they have fully adjustable front end um, where it's compression rebound preload, and then we've got to fix the geometry, the shocks are adjustable. Is the swing arm material sufficiently strong enough to take a slick tire, or should it be just a regular DOT tire? Because they come off the corner and the swing arm warps, and then the swing arm affects the frame and put a put a tire on with less grip and they have a great day. So there's lots of educational stuff to help people think about and very simple ways to resolve issues to get people specifically with Harley Davidson's coming back to three, four, five more track days and then becoming a track day regular with two or three a year to sharpen their skills up on the track and make them a better rider on the street. So Dave, when you say lower the, the front suspension, I mean, that's that's an actual um, hardware change, yes? That is correct. You would loosen the triple clamps. You would measure how much fork is or is not sticking above the upper triple clamp, or for those elsewhere, the upper yoke, and increase that amount so effectively we're pushing the fork through, which lowers the front end, it moves the balance point of the motorcycle, from very close to the rider further forward to make the bike more neutral or flat. Hmm. Very interesting. And in these videos, the the things you talk about, Dave, I was on your website, but but uh, videos where you've done this are on your website, davemoss.com. 
Dave, Dave, Dave Moss Tuning.com. Yeah, you'll also see them on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, YouTube. Uh, I think we have 160,000 subscribers on that channel. But most of the video content, if you want to start to learn and get some ideas, YouTube with Dave Moss Tuning, they're all named the same, is the place to start because you can be very, very specific. So, for example, cleaning brake calipers with a toothbrush and soapy water. Um, not a task that often gets done. <clears throat> but if you need some peace and quiet and you want to get in the garage or the shed, and sit there with an old toothbrush that should have probably been retired six to eight months ago, then you can repurpose it and just very quietly sit there and clean the brake calipers, especially the front ones, so that you can ensure maximum performance from the brakes at all times. Little things like that to, to try and encourage your average motorcyclist to up the maintenance part of their motorcycle and actually do some things themselves which are very, very simple and doable. David, I'm curious if um, you've spent any time thinking about uh, some of these considerations with regard to EVs. We're, we are certainly seeing the live wire here uh, gaining in popularity, and by all indications, this is going to be the trajectory of our industry. What are your thoughts about that, and can you apply the same principles that you're talking about today to, to, to EVs? Great question. Um, EV definitely is, is going to go and gain momentum. Um, I remember riding an EV zero dirt bike a decade ago, I think, with a two-speed gearbox, which was highly frightening, but who's absolute bull. Um, and we can see more and more fan, uh, manufacturers going that route. Um, I've seen uh, a live wire. I've tuned one in L.A., and the owner was beside himself on how well it handled because he thought it was too heavy and wouldn't handle. Um, and again, the same principles apply in regards to that. Um, the difference with the EVs is centralization of the weight, which is critical to the chassis, um, specifically in what we call weight transfer. So when you brake, you don't get horrendous dive on the front, and everybody knows that word. But when you accelerate, the rear doesn't drop too quick, the fronts extend, and you run wide in the corner, causing um, an irregular heartbeat and sometimes less breathing per minute. So <laughs> principles can apply with EVs. Um, if you really want to understand it, uh, just a pair of long acre scales under the front and rear wheel and just where's the balance of the bike? What's the weight differential? Because that gives you a very interesting snapshot on the chassis to know how much weight you have on the front, how much weight you have on the rear. With something as simple as a geometry change, making the back tighter, make, making the front softer, or a front geometry change, can you get it to 50-50? Is it possible? For some people, that's way too hard. It's too much work. They don't have the scales. They don't have access to anything like that. But for countries that I go like New Zealand, where people tinker all the time, it's a great thing for them to go do. And actually go, huh, no wonder my bike doesn't turn when I brake because I'm only using a third of my travel, but 100% of the shock. So now I need to know why. So they'll measure the bike and see where the weight balance is. And if that's the case, they can go and make some minor modifications and dramatically improve the handling of the motorcycle. 
So in regards to the dealership piece on the text, yeah, I go around doing training um, in regards to that for simple basics. Um, again, just for the point of sale. Here's the bike. Here's the bike enhanced to you ergonomically. Here's the bike with the required suspension for your type of use. And here's the VIP package where everything is covered. So the product offering can be enhanced, but some manufacturers want the bike to be sold first and then have the person come back and do the upgrading, whether that's a lifestyle choice or actually a handling choice or a performance choice. So I try and get a bike to handle really well first before you do all the other stuff because that crisis situation is one where it has to work because you don't want to burden the friends around you um, and you certainly don't want to do that to your family and we absolutely don't need you gone. So putting that video out there hopefully encourages a lot of people to take a minute and engage in a conversation. Wow. Yeah. This one has been an eye opener for me, Dave. I, I know your time is valuable. Um, I don't want to um, eat up any more of your time on, on uh, this, but I would ask you if you would be interested in um, at a later time coming back on um, after we analyze some of your videos and maybe attempt to uh, um, implement some of these things and maybe you could talk with us again in the future. Absolutely. Um, if you wanted to extend for a little longer, that's fine by me. But uh, I understand there's a format length to your program, so I would be delighted to return. Um, and if there's a level of interest, I would absolutely be interested to come out and share some wisdom and some insight um, at the dealership and see if there's any interest in moving that forward in a different way in terms of sales and knowledge and servicing. Uh, I, I would absolutely love that, and I will be connecting to you today. Perfect. Well, gentlemen, I sincerely and I'm very grateful um, for this opportunity. Motorcycling has been in my life pre-birth, meaning that my mother's horses broke in the sidecar. <laughs> oh, so, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. So there was three of us kids in the, in the sidecar, mom and dad on the bike, and we did that for, God, seven, eight years. Um, and it wasn't a problem. It was, it was easy, but um, at this point, you know, I, I really am grateful for the opportunity to get the information out there. So in, in part, you're helping me with my mission, and that is critical to me because obviously if we can save a life every day in our industry, it's a good day. What a what a what a amazing conversation, Dave, and I really really appreciate that. And we will be in touch with you today, and uh, and definitely set a, a date in the future to to do this again and get into some more uh, in depth discussion. All right, thank, thank you. you so much, you gentlemen. Have a fantastic weekend. I am going to try an ADB school this weekend. I've never done it, so this is going to be interesting because I'm really excited and hoping to get hold of a Pan America actually go do the same thing awesome that that sounds amazing where where are you taking this uh the adventure riding course uh, it's ride adventures which is based in uh, las vegas okay so wonderful I'm halfway there i'm in reno now and i'll head down 395 and get there tonight 
Wonderful. Well, enjoy your time. Be careful. And uh, we will talk to you soon, Dave. Thank you so much. Take care, Dave. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars podcast. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Stay tuned for our next exciting podcast. Check out additional information on WilkinsHarley.com.